It's good to be with you all uh, this morning, both here in person and and at home virtually. Uh, We'll be in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4, or chapter 4, verses 12 through 20. If you want to go ahead and and turn there in your Bibles. Um, We're going to be getting into a a new section in Galatians here, so I'm going to kind of back up and give an overview of of what Galatians uh, is all about. This letter of the Apostle Paul to the churches in Galatia was first and foremost written to combat a teaching, uh, the teaching of a group known as the Judaizers. Uh, this, this group had come in behind Paul to, to these Galatian churches claiming that justification or right standing uh, with God was not attained simply by trusting in the finished work of Christ alone, but that works such as circumcision and observance of, of the Mosaic law uh, must accompany faith in order to be justified. Uh, so the main purpose of this book is to proclaim the truth that salvation is by faith alone in Jesus Christ, that salvation is not attained by being good or doing good works, by being religious or being involved in ceremonies and rituals. These things cannot achieve right standing with God, nor do they partly achieve salvation, as if there's a combination between faith and works. Um, The equation for justification is not Jesus plus works equals salvation. It is just Jesus. It is Jesus plus nothing. So Paul's message in Galatians, and the message of of all of Scripture for, for that matter, is that God forgives the sins of those who believe in Jesus Christ, and no works play any part in that at all. Works are the result of salvation, the fruit of it, not the reason for it or the cause of it. So up to this point in chapter 4, Paul's been, been very polemic and, and even severe, um, and rightfully so, for, for the truth of the gospel and, and the salvation of people's souls was at stake. He, he has called down curses, anathematized any being who would tamper with the gospel. In chapter 1, verse 8, he says, If we, or even an angel from heaven, bring a gospel to you other than the one you received from us, may he be accursed. He has likened uh, the Galatians turning to a false gospel as them being bewitched or, or put under a spell and have called them fools for doing so. Uh, the tone of Galatians thus far has, has been very much, if you will, of the head and not so much of the heart. We have mainly seen the Apostle Paul as a theologian. Uh, we have seen him mastering the reasonings of theology. Uh, we've seen him as a biblical scholar, proving the gospel from Old Testament texts. And we have seen him as a lawyer, defending his case for salvation by faith alone. But here, in our passage today, in chapter 4, verses 12 through 20, we see a turn in tone, a change in the apostle's approach. Uh, We see him turn from from the head to more of the heart. In our passage today, we see Paul as a little less polemic and a lot more pastoral. Instead of arguing from Scripture or salvation history, Paul rehearses his own history with the Galatians and makes his case from his relationship with them. 
appealing to them to live in accord with the model and example he provided instead of following after the Judaizers who have improper motives. Um, B. Longnecker puts it this way. He says, At stake in Paul's mind is Christian character enlivened by the Spirit and evidenced within human relationships. So it's my hope from our time together this morning that we will have a better understanding and appreciation for the relationship that exists between pastor and congregant, and not just senior pastor or associate pastor, um, but all of the church's elders and the congregation for that matter. And when, it, when I say pastor here, I'm going to be using it interchangeably with, with elder and overseer or shepherd because that is the way it's, it's used in the scriptures. They're, they are one and the same. And, and not just between pastor, elders, and congregants, but between every one of us that bears the name of Christ. And not just between all of us that are called Christians, between, but between us who are called Christians and also all of our neighbors. And that through better understanding and appreciation, we will be all united to the goal of seeing Christ formed in one another. If you would, read with me our passage from Galatians chapter 4, verses 12 through 20. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose. And not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. So the the three headings for, for my message today are, first, how the pastor elder relates to the people and how the people relate to the pastor elder, the pastor elder's motive, and the pastor elder's ultimate goal. Read with me again. Uh, verse 12. He says, Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. Here in the very opening of, of our passage, we see a change in Paul's tone. He says, Brothers, I entreat you, my fellow heirs with Christ, my, my fellow, fellow sharers in God's grace and the gospel, I beg you, I beseech you, become as I am, for I have also become as you are. This is a very different lead-in um, than that of the beginning of chapter 3, where, where he opens by pointing out that the Galatians are fools for, for turning from the gospel. We, we see his concern for the Galatians expressed in indignation there. Uh, <clears throat> But, but here we see his concern expressed in a warm and loving plea to return from that which they have strayed. Uh, Paul, is saying, become as I, Paul, in saying, become as I am, is simply saying, imitate me as I imitate 
Christ. He's, he's saying, don't return to the slavery that you have been delivered from. Just as I walk as a son of God made free from the burden of keeping the law through faith in Christ keeping the law, of the law, you do the same. He's saying, imitate me. Become as I am. And Paul's reason for this command is, is, is in command to imitate him as he imitates Christ is, for also I have become as you are. That, that seems like a strange way to, to get someone to imitate us, doesn't, doesn't it? Become like me because I've become like you. Uh, wouldn't I just be imitating myself? Um, but Paul here is reminding these Galatian believers of his attitude toward them when first coming to them. Paul, the self-proclaimed Hebrew of Hebrews, upon coming to this Gentile people, didn't distance or distinguish himself from them like Peter did in his hypocrisy that's, that's recorded in chapter 2 um, of, of Galatians. But in every way permissible, that is, in every way that was not sinful, he became as they were for the sake of Christ, for the sake of the gospel. And he teaches on, on this very principle in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. If you would, if you want to, put your finger there in Galatians and turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And we'll be reading verses 19 through 23. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside of the law, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessing. So Paul is saying to the Galatians, Remember how I imitated Christ and set aside my own preferences, my own customs, my own freedoms, that I might better serve you and honor Christ. Remember? Now I ask that you do the same. Paul was living out the saying that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And, and John Stott uh, sums this up very well. He says, people don't care how much you know <clears throat> or... And seeking to win other people to Christ, our end is to make them like us, while the means to that end is to make ourselves like them. If they are to become one with us in Christian conviction and experience, we must first become one with them in Christian compassion. We must be able to say with the Apostle Paul, I became like you, now you become like me. So coming into this, this new year, brothers and sisters, um, let's be more intentional about putting this principle of becoming more like others for the sake of the gospel into practice. It, it could be having breakfast with some unbelieving coworkers, um, or or maybe attending a Super Bowl get together of some unbelieving friends that you have. Whatever it may be, it is simply stepping out of our comfort zone into the lives of those around us that they might see the love and light of Christ in us. And want it for themselves. So, 
Now Paul is going to recall his initial reception by the Galatian believers. Uh, Read with me uh, verses 13 through 15. Now it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. Or you know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. So here we find out the, Paul's reason for uh, going to Galatians and that it was a bodily ailment that brought him there. Um, there's been much speculation as to what this ailment could have been, uh, malaria, epilepsy. Um, he talks about his eyes, them giving the, him their eyes. Um, so people think it may have been an eye ailment. Um, it could have been uh, the thorn that he speaks of in his flesh that, that God had given to humble him in, in 2 Corinthians twelve seven. We don't know for certain. Um, <clears throat> what we do know is that it was a physical malady or sickness of some kind that was so severe that it posed a temptation to the Galatians to re- reject Paul and his message. Uh, they, they could have seen this physical weakness as a sign that Paul's message wasn't from God, uh, that surely a divine message would have been accompanied by, by, by strength and not weakness in its messenger. But they didn't. Because of the work of the Spirit already at work in these believers, they received Paul as an angel, a messenger of God, as Christ Jesus himself. And not only did they receive Paul and his message, but they showed such willingness to suffer in assisting him that they would have sacrificed their own eyes for him. They would have donated a right kidney if he needed it. Because of the Spirit of God already at work in them, they knew it was strength in the Spirit that confirmed the messenger, not strength in the body. In Christ... All our pain and sickness and suffering has a purpose. I think we can see that from this passage in that it was Paul's sickness that brought him to share the gospel in Galatians. Romans 8.28 reminds us that for those in Christ, all things work together for the good. Not Not that pain and sickness and suffering are good in and of themselves, but God takes these consequences of a fallen world and flips them on their head and uses them for his good purposes. He did it with Joseph. He did it with Paul here. And he did it at the cross when he used the murderous acts of murderous men to satisfy his wrath and make atonement possible for his people. I don't know about you, but I'm way more prone to complain and feel sorry for myself in the midst of hardships and suffering and think that this is somehow a hindrance to my sharing of the gospel or some part of my ministry. And, and I, I, I don't seek out God and His purposes in the midst of them and rest in His sovereignty. We may find out in this life what good purposes God has worked through our hardships, and we might not. Whether we do or we don't, we know that God is working good purposes through them. And why? Because His Word tells us so. Our job is to remain faithful, looking for the opportunities for gospel ministry that God might be working through our hardships, knowing that God is working for our good and His glory. 
And we today, like the Galatians before us, must resist the temptation to let our attitude of our elders be influenced by outward appearance and personal preferences. He may be good-looking or not so good-looking. It doesn't matter. He may be the definition of physical fitness or sickly like the Apostle Paul. doesn't matter. He might have a type A personality or a type B personality. doesn't matter. He may possess outstanding gifts or be just a faithful man with no extraordinary brilliance. doesn't matter. But what does matter is that he exhibits the character of an overseer elder that is laid down for us in 1 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 6. And that is he is above reproach. The wife of one woman, a one-woman man, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. If he, if he is to manage the household of God, he should be able to manage his own household well. He must not be a recent convert, and, be, and he must be thought of well by outsiders. Simply put, he is to be a faithful proclaimer of the gospel through word and deed and his life. Which leads to my second point, the pastor-elder's motive. Read with me verses 16 through 18. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It is, <clears throat> it is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you. So Paul makes it clear here through two rhetorical questions, here in verse 16, then before in verse 15, um, that there has been a change of attitude from the Galatians towards him. He says, What has become of your blessing? When I first came to you, the Spirit was so clearly at work in you that you would have, you would have blinded yourself for me. But, but now I'm your enemy for, for telling you the same truth that I told you before? What has happened? Or, or better yet, who has happened? It's not so much as a what as a who. Uh, in verse 17 and 18, he lays out a contrast between the motives of the Judaizers and his own motives. He says in verse 17, They, the Judaizers, make much of you for no good purpose. Their purpose or motive is, is not the truth. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. Tom Schreiner interprets verses 17 and 18 like this. They are not zealous. They are not zealous for you in a good way, but they wish to shut you out that you might be zealous for them. Now to be zealous for the good is always good, and not only when I am present with you. These false teachers were motivated by zeal, but it was a zeal unaccompanied by knowledge of the truth. It was praise and honor for themselves that motivated them. They were flatterers who were looking to be flattered. Flattery has been, been uh, defined uh, as this, uh, saying to someone's face what you wouldn't say behind their back. It, it is a false and insincere praise, such as, as gossip would be saying behind someone's back what you wouldn't say to their face. Paul contrasts this misguided zeal of the false teachers with his own truth-motivated zeal again at, at the end of this letter to the Galatians. If you would, 
Turn over to chapter 6, verses 12 through 16, where he touches on this again. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. So the underlying motivator for the Judaizers was to impress others that others might boast about them. They wanted nothing to do with being spoken ill of because of the truth of the gospel, which Jesus tells us is true blessedness. Blessed are you in Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are you when people revile you and speak ill of you for my sake. But Paul was zealous for the good, the good news of the cross of Christ. His motivation was that through the lifting high of the cross of Christ, the Holy Spirit was giving new birth to those who had been spiritually dead in their trespasses and sins. And this should be the motivation of every faithful pastor, elder, and every Christian for that matter. To be motivated by a zeal for the truth of the gospel. For it is the truth of the gospel that saves souls from eternal damnation and gives them peace with their creator. If you're, if you're in my hearing today, either here with us or, or virtually, and you are not at peace with God... For it tells us there's only one way to be at peace with God. If you are still an enemy of God, shaking your fist at Him in futile rejection and rebellion, I'm telling you today that war can be over. Today you can be at peace with God. Romans 5.1 tells us that by faith in the finished work of Jesus, we have peace with God and, and through trust in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we are restored to a right relationship with our Creator. I ask you today to surrender to God by turning from your sin, trusting in Christ as your Savior, and living out your new life with Him as your Lord and Master. It will cost giving up the life that you knew, the life, the old life, and the old man, and taking up the new life that is conformed in the image of Christ. But surrender to God through Christ isn't defeat. It is the victory of victories. So we've considered up to this point how the pastor-elder relates to the people and the people to the pastor-elder, the underlying motive of the pastor-elder, and now we will consider the pastor-elder's ultimate goal. Read with me verses 19 through 20 from our passage in Galatians 4. My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about, about you. In these two verses, we get a good glimpse into the, heart of, into the heart of Paul. These verses show us a side of Paul that we have not seen up to this point in Galatians, as I touched on before. We see it in his other epistles where he, he speaks of himself in familiar terms, referring to himself as their father and, and mother. 
but we haven't seen it here in Galatians up to, the, up to this point. Here he doesn't refer to the Galatians as fools, but his little children. And he likens his concern for them to the anguish of a mother giving birth. He's perplexed and longs that he could be with them face to face so that they could actually hear the concern in his voice. Uh, these verses show us this isn't just a one-and-done kind of thing for Paul. He isn't like, through much suffering, I brought the gospel to you, you received it, now, now my work's done here. Um, and all of his uh, epistles actually testify to that fact for their follow-ups to his initial, um, his initial planting of those churches. But I think here, in, in these two verses, we, we, we see it at a very deep and, and personal level. For he says, my little children, for whom I am again, I am again in the anguish of childbirth until my ultimate purpose is achieved, that Christ be formed in you. So it was through suffering and anguish that Paul initially brought the gospel to the Galatians, and now seeing them drifting away from the blessedness of the gospel, he is again in anguish of soul that they would persevere in their faith and become mature in Christ. Hear these words from, from John Stott, again, concerning these verses. Paul is not satisfied that Christ dwells in them. He longs to see Christ formed in them, to see them transformed into the image of Christ. Until you take the shape of Christ, one version interprets it. Indeed, in ardent desire and prayer, he agonizes over them to this end. He likens his pangs to the pangs of childbirth. He had been in labor over them previously at the time of their conversion when they were brought to birth. Now their backsliding has caused him another confinement. He is in labor again. The first time there had been a miscarriage. This time he longs that Christ will truly be formed in them. He is expressing his deep and sacrificial love for the Galatians, his longing to see them conform to the image of Christ. And these all, verses also give us a clear contrast between the ultimate purpose and the motivation of Paul as opposed to that of the false teachers and the Judaizers. The Judaizers' ultimate purpose was to see themselves formed in the Galatians, that they might be made much of, that they might boast in them. Paul longed that Christ would be formed in them, that the God who is both just and merciful might be made much of. They, had a, they, the Judaizers, had a selfish eye to their own prestige and position. Paul, in imitating Christ, was prepared to sacrifice himself for them, to be in anguish and in travail until Christ be formed in them. So the ultimate goal for all faithful pastor elders and all Christians, for that matter, is to not only see the formation of Christ in ourselves, but to see to the formation of Christ in one another. Uh, we are to be about the business of making sure we are all growing up in Christ. Uh, Colossians 1.28 has been somewhat of a, a key verse for, for leadership in the church as, of, as a whole here um, of late. Uh, it, it's one of the, um, I guess you'd just say, key verses for, for the project Teleos here of late. And, and it really gets to this imitating Christ and seeing Christ formed in, in, in all of the, the body of believers. And it says, Colossians 1.28, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom 
that we may present everyone mature in Christ. I am beyond thankful to God and praise Him for the leaders that He has given us here at this church that have this very concern in mind. Who are of one mind, not with the Judaizers, but with Paul whose ultimate goal is to see all of those entrusted to their care presented mature in Christ, who, through the consecutive exposition of God's Word, proclaim the whole counsel of God, not afraid of being thought of as enemies for the sake of the truth, who, through formative and corrective discipline, protect their flock from the danger of metastasizing sin, and when they know one of their flock is hurting or suffering are quick, to offer comfort and encouragement. For this good purpose, being presented mature in Christ, it is good to make much of our faithful under-shepherds. So let us do that. And not only in their presence, but in their absence. And another way uh, of that, that we can do that is by imitating their walk in Christ. Read with me Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7 says, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Imitate the faith of your leaders. Brothers and sisters, let this year be marked by a greater mutual concern to see Christ formed in one another. Let us get better at putting aside our, our own personal preferences and our own personal differences to be more about imitating one another in Christ. Let us look not only to our own interests, but to the interests of Christ being formed in others. And I think if we do this, we will possess a unity that will look appealing to some, strange to others, and possibly even dangerous to a world that is bent on rebellion against its creator. Let us pray. Father, in the midst of this seemingly ever chaotic world, help us to remember and rest in the truth that you have it all under control, that you are sovereign. In the midst of our suffering and hardships, help us to see how you might be using uh, this very thing for your kingdom purposes, Father. Help us not to be focused on, on what we might be losing through it, but Lord, what you might be um, doing. And in this coming year and beyond, Lord, help us not to focus so much on our, our differences, but help us to see Christ in one another and give us the power to imitate one another to the formation of Christ in us. Help us to be full of both grace and truth, just as you are, Lord, for your glory and our good. Amen.